We're going to turn in our Bibles, please, to the reading in Exodus. Very easy to find. Genesis, Exodus, it's page 74 in the Church Bible. 73, 74. Exodus chapter 16 and the first 15 verses. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for the day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. So, Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, At twilight you will eat meat, And in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread of the Lord, the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And we turn to John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 29, and that's 1070. This is part of a discussion about Jesus as the bread of life and discussion 
based on that reading that we've just had in Exodus chapter 16, and hopefully we can make the connection here. We break into this discussion at verse 29. Jesus answered, The works of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. And may the Lord... Bless his word to us. Give us grace and understanding. Packing the car for holiday is quite a chore. I'm not sure who does it in your family. Where I live, one of us packs the cases and the other one packs the car. This person seems to have gone rather over the top. I can't actually see the kitchen sink there, but uh, there's quite a lot of stuff piled on the top of that car. There's lots to consider when you're packing to go away, isn't there? How long are we going for? Where are we going? How many of us are there? What have we got to take with us? What can we get when we arrive? Are we self-catering or is someone else providing the food? The food's a very important part of holiday, isn't it? I mean, you can go to a nice place and come back feeling really grim because the food just hasn't been enough or it hasn't been what you like or it's foreign stuff and it's things that you don't really get on with at all. Food is very important for a holiday. Well... We're going to eavesdrop as we begin this morning on a family discussion in Egypt. It's a long time ago, three and a half thousand years like, but uh, here is the kind of conversation that could have gone on. So we're leaving today then? Yes. Where are we going? Well, we're not really sure, but we certainly can't stay here in Egypt. How long are we going for? 
Is it just a fortnight? Well, no, it could be a bit longer. Uh, later on, I heard somebody mention 40 years. Well, how many of us are there going on this trip? Well, give or take about 2 million. That's a lot of mouths to feed, isn't it? So, how much food have we got? Well, we've got as much as we can carry with us. As much as we can carry with us. Well, yes, but uh, what happens when we run out? Can we, can we buy some? Well, not really, because this is the kind of place we're going to, and there aren't many shops in a desert like this, are there? So this is going to be quite difficult to think about how we're going to feed ourselves with all these people on all this journey for all this time. Well, that's really the background as we look together at Exodus 16. Perhaps you can open your Bible again at this story because we're going to uh, look at it as the whole nation of God's people have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. There have been wonderful miracles involved in their deliverance. The people of Egypt had been harassing them in a dreadful way. But after some of the terrible things that God did to the people of Egypt, eventually they let the people of Israel go. The climax was the occasion when the firstborn son of every family in Egypt died at the hand of God except the people of Israel who had been told by God to sacrifice a lamb and to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their houses and the angel of death passed over them and they were free to go. They had many proofs of God's miraculous power. But now, they're on the journey. And on the journey, we read in Exodus 16 that they'd been there for four weeks. And after four weeks, their food had run out and they begin to, to grumble. And so we see the wonderful story here in this chapter of how God provides for them. We're going to look... First of all, at how God sent them the manna, the food they needed. And then we're going to look at how God has sent us food even better than manna. But that comes later from John chapter 6. First of all, this uh, section, God sent them manna, the food they needed. And I'm going to start by talking about four things that this manna is. The first one, that manna is a gracious gift of God. Have you got your Bible open? Verse 3, the Israelites, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They're grumbling like anything, aren't they? What do you think God felt about that? Here I am, I've delivered you from Egypt, you're no longer slaves, I'm on your, you're on the way to the promised land, and now all you can do is grumble. God would have a, a, every reason to say, if that's what you're going to say to me and do to me, well, you can carry on on your own. But God is a merciful God. God is a gracious God. 
God is kind and caring and he provides for his people, all of them who had sheltered under the blood of the Lamb. If only we had time, we could look through the story of Exodus and Numbers and we could find on five other occasions the people rebelled against God and grumbled against him and yet still he remains kind and gracious to them. This food that he provided, this manna every day, six days a week, for 40 years, I'll do the arithmetic for you, 12,500 occasions did they come out and find enough food to eat on the ground. How kind and gracious is God. No wonder verse 12 says, when this happens, you will know that I am the Lord your God. God is showing himself as a provider, as a good and a gracious and a kind God to his people by this provision of manna. But the second thing about the manna we need to notice is that this is a miraculous gift. It was not something ordinary and everyday. If you look at verse 13, you'll see how that God provides. First of all, it speaks about these birds, the quail that came and covered the camp. Quail are birds like pheasants, not quite as big. They migrate across that part of the world and at that time of the year it would seem that in their migration they roost low on the ground at night and they would be very easy to catch and to obtain. So that seems to be more like a kind of uh, natural uh, phenomenon that God arranges at that time to provide them with meat. But the manna is something quite different. This is a, a, an entirely different miracle. They come out in the morning and instead of frost on the ground, they find something that looks like white flakes. In other parts, it's called like coriander seed. And they have to collect it and it's hard but they then have to grind it up into flour and they make it into cakes and when they eat the cakes, you know what they taste like? Well, you know, if you're listening to the children, they taste like honey and wafers. This is a miracle. Nobody had ever seen it before and it was something which God was doing to demonstrate his greatness and his power and his kindness to them little incident of course in verse 15 that uh, you will perhaps have heard about when the Israelites saw it they said to each other what is it and the two Hebrew words that mean what is it are manna and that's what they called it as we don't know what someone's called and we say what's his name well this is a, 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 a what is it name given to this special food but it's not something which they bought. It's not something which they saw naturally growing. It's something which God miraculously provided for them. There's something else we can see in this story of the manna. And this is opened up to us in verse 16 onwards. This is a test of their obedience. Because... God makes these arrangements for them for this manner in a rather remarkable way. Look at what it says here. 
Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person. That's like a um, two-litre container of milk filled with this uh, manna. Two litres is about an omer. And they're to have enough for each person. In fact, there's something rather strange shown to us in verse 18. When they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much didn't have too much, and he who gathered little didn't have too little. It seems that marvellously God arranged it so that the greedy people who took a lot didn't end up with any more than the people who only took a little. They had enough for each other. It was a kind of test of whether they were really being greedy or not. Then the, the circumstance about the, the Sabbath is interesting, isn't it? Because they're told no one is to keep it till the morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till the morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. It didn't last more than one day, except that on the day before the Sabbath, they were told to gather twice as much. And the next day, it didn't go off. It didn't smell. It was healthy for them to eat. Because there's always some people who don't know what they're doing. Verse seven, uh, 27, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. They were the people who didn't really believe that God was going to do it his way. They wanted it to do it their way. And in verse 22 to 24, we're shown how that those people who saved it till the morning, well, they found on the Sabbath day it was all right for them. God is a God who shows us by the way in which he provides that he's not a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour set at Tesco's there whenever we want it. He's a God who says, I will provide for you, but in my way, because the purpose of his giving these things to them is not merely to feed them, but to teach them. It's to test them. That's something which is expressed more than once in this chapter and in other parts of the Old Testament. This is a test of their making sure that they see this is to do with our relationship with God. It's part of our covenant loyalty to him, our gratitude to him. For all that he has done for us means that we observe the ways in which we should respect him and receive his gifts. The fourth thing about the manna you'll find right at the end of the chapter in verse 32 and 33. Moses is told, this is what the Lord has commanded, take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. It's a lasting reminder now of the goodness and grace of God. This that they put into this container, which later was put into the ark in the tabernacle as a long-lasting reminder of God's goodness to them, this didn't become rancid. It remained fresh as a miraculous story to tell us how kind God was to his people. They ate it for 40 years. It says in verse 35, they ate it until they came to a land that was settled 
they ate the manna until they reached the border of Canaan. If we had time, we could look up in the later Old Testament and see that when they were first able to harvest food in the promised land, the manna stopped. From the beginning when they needed it to the last day they needed it, God provided for his people. Now that's a a very encouraging lesson for us this morning. It's a wonderful reminder that the God that we have come here to worship today is a God who has saved people by the blood of the Lamb. We are faith trusting in him and he's the God who says, I'm your people, I will provide for you. And I will provide for you when you're in desperate need. I'll provide for you even when you don't deserve it. And this is the kind of God that he is. If that was all the Bible told us about the manna, it would be great. It would be a good and helpful reminder to us as we go out into a needy world that we worship a God who provides for us. But the Bible has more to say about the manna. And for this we need to turn over to our New Testament. Will you turn then back to the second reading we had in John chapter 6, page 1070 in the Bibles that are in the church. God has sent us food even better than manna. As Jeff reminded us when he read this passage, it's part of a discussion that the Jewish people had with Jesus when they were talking about food and about spiritual food And they bring up the subject of manna. And this is what they say. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We had four things to say about the manna. We've got four things to see here about Jesus. First of all, that Jesus is more personal than the manna. The manna was a substance. It was something for them to eat. But you will see here how the Lord Jesus uses a personal pronoun in verse 33. The bread of God is he who comes. This is a person. This is not a thing. Jesus is giving food in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Now if the manna was a gracious gift, how much more is the Lord Jesus a gracious gift? Not just for the 40 years in the desert, but all through the Old Testament. We have these recurring stories of God's people privileged and provided for, but rebelling against him and turning aside from him and killing his prophets and giving God every reason to say, I'll have nothing more to do with you. But what does he do? He says, I will send my son. He is the gift even better than manna. I am the bread of life. But it's interesting, in this story here, he begins just with with them and and their questions. They were asking these questions uh, uh, where he says, uh, 
you talk about this, these miraculous signs, but uh, uh, he says, what sign can, they say, what sign can you give to us? And Jesus begins with their questions and leads them on to talk about him. We have a God today who knows what questions are in our mind. These people could not yet believe. And there are people here who may not yet believe that Jesus is the Saviour and is their Saviour. He knows that and he comes to you where you are and starts with us in our circumstances and in our lives. And he answers us by showing who he is. Now, I'm always in difficulties when I start with things like this in John's Gospel because not only does Jesus say, I am the bread of life, some of you will know there are seven different expressions used in John's Gospel where Jesus says, I am this and I am that. He's much too wonderful a saviour to be shown to us in only one picture. So he says in other places, I am the door, I am the way to open for you to come into the kingdom of God. I am the light of the world. He will be the one who guides us in all our ways. I am the way, the truth and the life, he says, that he might be the truth teaching us and the life for us to live. I am the good shepherd. All the picture that that means to us of his protection. I am the true vine, he says, nourishing us in all our needs. I am the resurrection. He's the one who breaks the powers of death. And here he is saying, I am this personal, precious, gracious gift of God, the bread of life for you. But I also want you to look at verse 27. (coughs) For here we see Jesus is more enduring than the manna. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus didn't mince his words when he was talking to people about things that matter. And your finger down to verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert Yet they died. They died. The wages of sin is death. All the people of God in the Old Testament, all the people who have ever lived in this world apart from our dear Saviour Jesus Christ are sinners and the wages of sin is death. These people died in the desert. But now Jesus has come to say there is something even better that I can give to you. Something much more enduring. We know that he gave, verse 51 says, his life for the world. He came that his body should be the expression of fully God, fully man, to keep the law of God, to fulfill all righteousness and then to give his life on a cruel cross. Not just the lamb as a sacrifice, but the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the blessing that that brings to those who trust in him is nothing short of eternal life. Verse 40. My Father's will 
is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Yes, our bodies will die. But there is a day of resurrection coming. The day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he will raise up his people to enter into the new heaven and the new earth that he's prepared for all those who are trusting in Jesus. This is something much more enduring than the manner that they ate and then died. This is the bread of life which he will give for the life of the world that all who believe in him will live forever. That's why the next thing I want you to notice about Jesus is that he's not just more enduring than manna, but he is more nourishing than the manna. There's some very interesting language in verses 56 and 57. Read it with me, will you? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father. Think of that wonderful union there is between the Father and the Son and the Spirit in the Trinity. I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. We're sharing the very life of Jesus as we eat of that bread. Children like eating. Eating is a very helpful picture of faith. Have you ever thought about that? Eating is a good picture of faith. Because you can put all the food on the table that you like. You can have a huge banquet laid out here. And other people can be enjoying it all. But if you are going to benefit from it, You must take that food yourself. You must believe that's going to be meant for you and good for you and you must take that into your own mouth and eat it until it becomes part of you. Some of you clever people will know exactly how the nourishment we take in our mouth is digested and becomes part of what goes round in our body and gives us life and strength. I don't know the technicalities of it, but I know that's how it works. And how Jesus says it works here is that if we take Jesus and receive him for ourselves, then we feed on him and we are nourished by him Daily we are renewed by him. You know, that's one reason why. Even if we're good Christian people who have received the Lord Jesus, we need to come back here Sunday after Sunday. We need more food. Just because you had breakfast, that doesn't mean to say you won't want breakfast tomorrow. You need more food every day. That's why God has provided for us in his word the rich nourishment that we can feed on day by day. That's why we should be reading our Bibles every day. That's why we should be taking opportunities that God gives to us. When our home groups start, that we can break it up into little pieces for our own nourishment that's going to be suitable to our own needs. That's why we can come this evening to the Lord's Supper and remember the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God, as the bread of life. That's why the opportunities that we have are those that we should be taking regularly. 
Can I offend some of you? I am so sorry. I am so sorry that when good food is provided here on Sunday evenings as well as on Sunday mornings, half of us here this morning will find something else to do tonight instead of coming and receiving more of the word of God. We need to feed on him in every way we can to nourish our souls far more than the manna could do. The last thing about Jesus here is that he's more accessible than the manna. More accessible than the manna. You see, to eat the manna, you had to be in one place at one time. You had to be in the Sinai Desert three and a half thousand years ago. It was a gracious, wonderful provision of God. It was something he came to do for his people and to teach them about him. But nobody anywhere is eating manna today. That was for some people at some time. Now what about the Lord Jesus? He is much more available, much more accessible for whoever calls upon him. Verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Underline that word forever in your thinking. Whoever we are, whether we're young or old, whoever we are, whether we are religious or not religious, whether we come from a Christian background or a pagan background, however we've lived, whether we've grumbled against God as those people did, whether we've grumbled about our food, whatever things we've done wrong and haven't done, whoever we are, Jesus said, if you come to me, I will never drive you away. What a wonderful saviour he is. What a tremendous opportunity. What a thrilling invitation the gospel is to all who come to him. We come to him as we are. Even as sinners who know that we don't deserve the gift of his grace and know that he welcomes us when we come in his name. I don't want you to look back in Exodus 16 anymore, but I'll just say one more thing about the manna. They had to get up early in order to get it. We have to come to Jesus early. It's never too early to become a Christian. Many people here became Christians when they were little children. You don't have to be a particular age to come to Jesus. He says, early, if we seek him, early we will find him. Whoever comes to me, he says, I will never drive away. If you've never come to Jesus before, it's not too early to come today. There'll be people who'll be glad to talk to you more, and pray with you. Bring all your questions and your uncertainties and all your fears and bring them all to Jesus. He says, whoever you are, come to me. 
I won't drive you away. He says to us, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will live forever. God give you grace to do so.